Hello, and welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist feminist podcast that isn't super superstitious, but is just a little bit stitious. As a treat. <laughs> As a treat. <laughs> Today we have Zoe, Laura, Ellen, and Jules. And thank you to whoever wrote my name up here, because I think I forgot. Oh, yeah, I added that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, precious. (laughs) I think it was was the episode we had Tanya on recently that, like, a few things happened where it was like, no, you go. No, you go. No, it's okay. You go. And, like, my – one of my best friends – uh, and her partner love the trailbillies, but specifically for Tanya, like are obsessed with it. And of so, um, exactly. And so, um, are we all? <laughs> uh, my like best friend was like, we have to listen to this episode because I know you'll like it because Tanya's on it. And he listened to like the first whatever twenty minutes, and then they had to they were like had to stop for other reasons. But he was like, they really are like obscenely nice to each other (laughs) (laughs) and hannah was like yeah yes (laughs) but anyway yes i love that that was also an illustration of that it's great yeah i love that we are very nice to each other and today is our last installment of the spooky season episodes of 2021 and so we're talking about uh, superstitions and where they come from. We did get some write-ins on Instagram about superstitions that y'all believe in. A lot of them were related to ones that were already on our list of things to talk about. So we'll just kind of Except sprinkle that one. in as we go. <laughs> Except for one very special one, which will be discussed. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> so I, I did want to start off by sharing that I was personally cursed by a superstition once. Um, at the first college that I went to for undergrad, notice I said the first college that's relevant to the rest of the first, <laughs> uh, there was this plaque and it was like, yeah. So if you stepped on it, you wouldn't graduate in four years. And I didn't purposefully step on it. I just was drunk and stepped on it. I was like, shit. Uh, and I, not only did I not graduate undergrad in four years, I didn't graduate from that school at all. So, uh, I think it's safe to say that it is because of the plaque. <sighs> of course. But Correlation just like a little... and causation <laughs> once again strikes again. Correlation is causation. Superstitions are real. That plaque is cursed. I am cursed. Though I eventually graduated, which I think probably broke the curse. I would assume that's how it works. There you yes. go. Right. Well, it sounds like it was only relevant to graduating from that college. So I feel like you're like over. I escaped. And yeah, most then. curses <laughs> only last seven years. I did. I learned oh, okay. in like the research. Uh, wow. for this is like that's, none of that's very reassuring okay. i needed to hear that only so certain like sects of like where these things come from believe in that seven-year cycle but there is a consistency of like breaking mirrors and it being reset in seven years and stuff like oh. that okay that's interesting because isn't it like every seven years you have like a full new set of cells maybe that's what it is isn't that oh. a thing i knew it was the a romans thing your body regenerated in seven years. Yeah, that that's what I meant. There we go. Kellen with the facts as always. <laughs> We're just like the cells, like, the cells yeah. replenish. <laughs> now I'm on to look up how long yeah. it takes for your body to grow. No, it says 
Is it okay, seven years? this is from How Stuff Works, so let's take this with a grain of salt. But according to researchers, the body replaces itself with a largely new set of cells every seven to ten years. Whoa! So that does sound like jealous. seven. <laughs> Spooky. Spooky. The Romans knew. Because it's like you have new cells now, so the curse isn't tied to those cells. That's what I think. That's science, baby. That wow. it is scientific. Yes. Speaking that, of, that makes sense. <laughs> In a study that was published in the International Journal of Psychology and Behavioral Sciences, they (laughs) described the possible origin of superstition as a way of creating the perception of, quote, having control over outer conditions. And that reminded me of something that our resident doctor of history, Bragg, said on our Gothic Marxism episode, I think last spooky season, um, about the importance of understanding like why people hold the beliefs that they do. And I was hoping that maybe Kellen would explain that more for us. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, like a lot of people believe a lot of things that are not necessarily grounded in like quote unquote truth or reality, you know, to the extent that we can even agree on an objective reality at all. But people believe things that others think are silly or stupid all the time. And I think it's much better to try and understand why people believe those things rather than just dismissing them as wrong or dumb or uneducated or superstitious. Um, A lot of times what people believe is grounded in their material realities or their material needs. So for example, as Zoe said, superstitions can help people exert control over a world in which they don't seem to control very much at all. If I do this, then I won't be cursed. If I do this, then I'll have good luck. Something I encounter might bring me bad luck, but I can do these other things to counteract it, et cetera. Um, superstitions, I think, can also be a way for elites or people sort of towards the top of certain social hierarchies to manifest social control. So we'll talk about, for example, grooms and brides not seeing each other before weddings, which is very much a part of an attempt to maintain patriarchal hierarchy, for example, or like the less intense but still relevant concept of not breaking a mirror for fear of getting bad luck. But, you know, that might just be about not breaking a very expensive object. Um, And this is relevant to children, too, especially because I think they're like super into superstitions. Um, And some of some of these superstitions that we are going to talk about may have originated or caught on as a way to instruct children and how to operate in the world. So, like, think about Santa Claus and the requirement that they be good all year round if they don't want coal. Or relatedly, how many children's superstitions revolve around them going to bed early without a fight for goddamn once in their entire fucking lives. Um, So Santa, again, uh, but also the tooth fairy, which requires children to be sleeping peacefully and thus giving their parents a break. So I think superstitions can help us learn and think about how to move through our world in all kinds of ways. Some of them nefarious, some of them not. That's such a point. Brilliant. That's why they pay me the big bucks, guys. (laughs) Yeah. For listeners at home, I am not being paid the big bucks, just to clarify. If anyone thinks that uh, uh, early academics, like people who aren't 90 and have been in tenured forever are getting paid well, I implore you to do some research on that. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, if you would like to personally pay Kellen the big bucks, you can go to patreon.com slash season of the bitch and, and send it our way. Or give me a job. Both <laughs> yes, yes. If you're of the industry, that the academic industry, you can also hire Helen for a large fee. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we will so, be interviewing you as to whether or not you are good enough for Helen. <laughs> just to be clear, 
Okay. <laughs> Dr. Kelly. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Thank you so True. much. So as you probably guessed by the episode, it was inspired by our love of cats and um, the justice that needs to be served to black cats. <laughs> there was someone on Instagram who was like, do an episode on black cats. And I was like, that's what we're doing. Yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, as many people know, I really wanted and still want a black cat, but then this um, calico demon baby entered my life and she's perfect and also a demon. But I do think we're going to we're going to add a black cat to the mix soon. But I'm actually waiting until after October because of all of the Halloween adoptions. If people aren't aware, like a lot of people adopt black cats to have around as like spooky props for Halloween and then give them back. So fun. And there's also been like a lot of incidents of people using black cats and like sacrifices or other like just like pretty cruel, inhumane, like Halloween rituals. And it's so prevalent that a lot of shelters won't let you adopt a black cat during the month of October anyway. But even I didn't want a shelter to even like think that's what I was doing. So I'm just waiting after so that they like know that I'm one of the cool people, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And black cats have been seen as like both good and bad omens in various cultures uh, in the European tradition is to see black cats as like a companion to witches, which is partially how they became associated with bad luck or evil energy. And um, I wanted to read a quote from Sylvia Federici. Maybe you've heard of her (laughs) about um, the association with like animal companions and witches. And so this is more broadly about animal companions. Another aspect that has yet to be fully understood is how the witch hunt changed our relationship to animals. With the rise of capitalism, a new social ethos developed that prized the capacity to discipline and channel one's instinctual desires into labor power. As self-control became the mark of humanity, a more profound differentiation was introduced between humans and the beasts amounting to a cultural revolution if we consider that before the advent of capitalism, a continuity was assumed between the animal and human worlds. Animals often being deemed responsible beings who were even endowed with the capacity to speak. As late as the 16th century, this view of animals persisted in many parts of Europe so that dogs, for instance, were brought to trial for crimes they had committed or as witnesses in trials for their owners capable to assert with their behavior, their innocence or guilt. By the 17th century, a drastic change was underway, reflected in Descartes' theory that animals are non-sentient machines. Having companion animals was increasingly treated with suspicion, animals being depicted as the embodiment of the uncontrollable instinctuality that capitalism had to curb to produce a disciplined worker. Touching them, caressing them, living with them, as had been the norm in rural areas became taboo. With the witch hunt, especially in England, animals were demonized, according to the theory that the devil provided his acolytes with daily helpers in the form of domestic pets, serving to carry out the witch's crimes. These familiars are a constant theme in the English trials, as evident of the irrational, bestial nature of the witch and potentially of every woman. I swear to God, if Momo ever ratted me out in a trial, I'd lose my shit. I hope you're listening. He would never. I know he would. Yeah, wouldn't. he would never. He's but... sitting on the couch, gently licking his own stomach right now. It's a good sign. It's a good omen for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, when a cat would find shelter with a woman or be an animal companion, the cat would be seen as a source of like comfort and companionship. And if someone mistreated her cat, the woman or witch was thought to curse that person. Which, to be clear, I absolutely would curse anyone. Oh, for sure. My cat. Are you kidding me? 
<laughs> and if that person were then to become ill, which uh, was very common in this time period for people to become ill, the cat <laughs> and their witch were were blamed. And for black cats specifically, they were thought to be cursed. So if a black cat so much as walked by a person who later became ill, it was blamed on the cat. This is an example of correlation and causation perhaps not being connected. You hate to see it. (laughs) (laughs) Therefore, if a black cat crossed paths with someone without harming them, it indicated that that person must also be protected by the devil. To reverse that bad luck, you were supposed to walk in a circle, go backward across the spot where you cross paths, and then count to 13. Oh, my God. I'm sure that worked. That sounds dizzying. (laughs) (laughs) Another just fun thing about black cats is that Freya, the goddess of love and fertility, rode a chariot pulled by two black cats. And the cats would then, like, transform into black horses that were possessed by the devil. And after serving Freya for seven years, those cats would be rewarded by being turned into witches, but they were still disguised as cats. Mm. Love that. Good for them. Honestly. Also, it makes me think of, like, crazy cat lady language Mm -hmm. in general, like, being... A, like, probably just a bunch of lesbians who didn't want to date men, and they were like, cats are cool. Mm-hmm. And anyway. Yeah. No, I was thinking of that, too. It all goes back to the witch hunts. Exactly. Yeah. And then I also just wanted to read a couple positive black cat myths. In Britain, the wives of fishermen believe that their husbands will return safely if a black cat is kept in the house. Honestly, that makes me not want a black cat if I'm real, but I don't have a husband, so it's probably fine. For so me. you're good. Your husband will return. I'm like, I don't Thank want God. one to protect men. <laughs> uh, if there was a black cat in the audience on an opening night of a show that is thought to foretell a successful play, uh, according to local superstition in the south of France, black cats bring good luck to owners who feed them well and treat them with respect. I feel like a cat came up with that one. <laughs> They're like, we're lucky as long as you feed us and are nice to us. <laughs> Did a cat write this? <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah. English sailors also believe that keeping black cats happy would ensure fair weather when they went to sea. I feel like cats wrote these and I yeah. love that for them. And the last one, which I find hilarious, is to cure a sty on the island. You should rub it with the tail of a black cat. Here's the thing. I've had many styes. They're caused by bacteria getting into your eye. I wouldn't <laughs> recommend rubbing a cat on it per se. And as someone who is allergic to cats, like if <laughs> I were to if I were to do that, my eyes would basically explode. So maybe don't try that one at home. Well, there are these good things that we've has always shared with us about black cats. I will say that black cats still get the short end of the stick today. They have long had a harder time getting adopted outside of October because of superstitions. But now apparently they're also struggling because people think they're harder to photograph and that's like less Instagrammable. But as a proud mother to a very beautiful and dignified black cat named Gerald, who's my other cat, not the one who was gently licking his own stomach mere moments ago, um, I can tell you that black cats are both photogenic and very lucky for the people that would live with them. Aw, we love you, Gerald. We do love you, Gerald. Uh, I feel like, yeah, two things. First of all, like having cats that 
are mysterious and maybe a little bit hard to photograph honestly as a pro in my mind like Mm -hmm. I love when you have those photos of cats where you like can't tell where any of its legs are and you're just like (laughs) what how are you that shape Um, and there's just like big glowing eyes popping out yeah which I I think like all single color cats in general are like there's some great photos of all white cats like that Mm -hmm. as well um but like personally that's that's a pro in my opinion um but also as someone who owns mostly white cats I feel like there's a low-key benefit of having a black cat which is if you wear a lot of black the fur does not show on your clothing as much um because I wear a lot of black and my clothes are always covered in white fur so black cats they're great for goths and anyone else who wears black as someone who has both a black cat and a white cat can confirm um gerald does a much better job of that than momo um (laughs) but they all have they both have their strengths you know um the next thing that we wanted to talk about is knocking on wood so just to talk about some of the origins of this practice some people have argued that it goes back to pagan cultures and that maybe it originated with the Celts, at least in the English language. Um, Although Celtic, you know what I'm saying? We do. Celtic is its own language. It's fine. You you got got me. We got you. (laughs) Anyway, Celts believe that spirits residing in trees could bring good luck or were to be thanked for good fortune. However, according to one prominent folklorist, this is bullshit. And it's actually a much more recent trend, which dates back just a couple of hundred years at most to a British children's game with an unfortunate sexual name, Tiggy Touchwood. Um, (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) Great drag name, though. Oh, Oh, for sure. That's a really good drag name. (laughs) Someone wants to take that. Please do. Wow. Um, Steve Roud is this aforementioned expert, and he says... Given that the game was concerned with protection and was well known to adults as well as children, it is almost certainly the origin of our modern superstitious practice of saying touch wood. The claim that the latter goes back to when we believed in tree spirits is complete nonsense. I should have read that in a British accent, but you get the point. And we could do it again if you want to. Touch wood? I thought British people say touch wood instead of knock. So weird. Which again, much more sexual. In looking into this, it seems that knocking on wood has like culturally specific flavors. So in Italy, for example, touching iron is thought to bring good luck. In some Latin American cultures, there's a saying that goes, um, toca madera sin patas, which means touch wood without legs. So excluding the sort of obvious table and chair that might be um, easily available to get luck. But in Norway, they say, and you know, I forgive my Norwegian accent, banki bordet. Sorry. <laughs> Bonky boarded. Flawless. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Knock on the table, which is obviously the exact opposite vibe. Um, and I would also just say that the fact that Norwegian and Spanish speaking cultures have similar concepts to knock on wood suggests that maybe Steve Roud is like off base. But what do I know? I have spent exactly eight minutes looking into this. And presumably he spent a lot more time thinking about Tiggy Touchwood than I have. When I looked into that one as well briefly, I think I think particularly with the Latin American version of it, it is because the knocking on wood was like related to the crucifix somehow. Um, yeah, there's another. Yeah, it was like so that you should probably have a cross nearby and maybe you tap mm-hmm. that and like so I don't know if it the the without 
legs is related to that or not but again causation and (laughs) we don't know we don't know okay so the next thing we wanted to talk about is walking under ladders um this is one that i've always wondered about so i really wanted to look into and it's actually really old um i read a bunch of articles including some from like actually reliable sources that said it originated about five thousand years ago in ancient egypt Um, And the reason is said to be because a ladder leaning against a wall forms a triangle, which was a really important and sacred shape um, within ancient Egypt because it represented the trinity of the gods. And so passing through that shape was considered like disrupting or desecrating it. Um, And some sources I read mentioned that the Egyptian pyramids are also triangle shaped, although I could not confirm that that's the only reason for that. I also feel like triangles are just a very stable geometric shape so that kind of makes sense already um but I did wonder if this could be another case of something that had like a physical purpose like triangles are kind of the strongest architectural shape um just getting a more sort of supernatural explanation to help keep people aware of it and like pass down this knowledge um then this later became part of Christian superstitions as well where the triangle was said to represent the holy trinity Um, I think also, and maybe this is me getting a little bit superstitious myself, but like, I don't think it's really that safe to walk under a ladder. So this just seems like good (laughs) common sense. Um, I don't know, like you could knock the ladder and knock the person off or like they could drop something on your head. It just overall like feels like something to avoid. Um, so it seems like it could be another case of something that was just like already kind of dangerous or not a great idea becoming a superstition as like an additional sort of reason or like cultural injunction against it. I agree. That makes yeah. total sense to me. Yeah. I thought the reasoning for that one was just going to be like, it's what you shouldn't. It's a bad <laughs> yeah, idea. Like, don't do that. <laughs> I do remember as a teen, like when people weren't on them or anything like that, being like, Oh, I'm going to go under it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that happened a lot in like theater tech when we were like setting up scenes and then it would be like, Oh God, you don't want to be the person that like accidentally walks under the ladder. I literally feel like this was a thing I did because of drama club. Like I feel like there was just like ladders and shit like that around uh, the things we were doing. That's so funny. Love that. Also, ancient Egyptians did worship cats. So just like generally, I do trust them. Oh, yeah. True. Yeah, that's a good point. So real. Um, Okay, so the next one uh, is stepping on cracks. Uh, the, The person on Instagram said, my fave is stepping on cracks. Least fave, my OCD. And then added, I don't love the step on cracks one because it's a game I can play on walks I love they do love I love it yes I'm sorry no sorry um no you're good I just wanted to no I appreciate it yeah yes um so yeah the the superstition of stepping on a crack as foretelling or even causing harm uh for a family member is really common like don't step on a crack or, or you'll break your mother's back Similarly to mirrors, cracks uh, in the earth on a sidewalk or almost anywhere have long been seen as portals uh, to the realm of the supernatural, both for good and evil. So to step on those cracks might be to invite or release unwelcome spirits into the world ready to do harm. Uh Uh-oh. 
I find it really interesting that this person mentioned their OCD and I'm not sure if they intended to make like a direct connection between them. Um, but it, that just caught my attention because when I was little, I didn't know about this superstition and my sensory processing disorder manifested as always needing to step on cracks or like the lines between sidewalks or like floorboards or whatever I was walking on. So I had to step on it like exactly in the middle of my foot and do it the same number of times on both feet. Um, and then one time some adult was like, don't do that. If you step on a crack, you'll break your mother's back. And I was like, first of all, why would you say that to a child? That's horrifying. <laughs> like, I had never heard this before. And I was like, what the fuck? Um, but also then I was really conflicted because I was like, I mean, it's apparently bad luck to do this, but like, I literally cannot stop doing this. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I th- just like, I think it's interesting that a lot of superstitions involve these very specific ways that you have to do actions um, that are maybe more just like everyday actions you wouldn't think about. Um, And I do feel like in some cases they have this overlap with compulsive behaviors, which I think like those behaviors are not, I wouldn't call them superstitious really because they are rooted in that behavior, like filling some type of need or desire in your brain. But I do think many of us who struggle with these issues also feel like there's not really an objective reason outside of like our own minds that we need to do this. Um, So I do wonder sometimes if superstitions have some connection to things that like enough people just sort of found comforting or soothing for a reason that they couldn't quite explain and then like that explanation sort of just developed that there was some supernatural reason because they didn't necessarily have like a concrete objective explanation for it yeah I think that superstitions and OCD have like a lot of overlap um and also lol at like the fact that this podcast has a literal majority of hosts who have OCD. Very powerful. Um, (laughs) But OCD is like fundamentally about anxiety and control and like obsessions that make you feel out of control and compulsions that bring that sense of control back into your life. So I think this comparison is like totally relevant for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the next one is similar. Uh, It's breaking a mirror. So I was always really freaked out about the idea of breaking a mirror as a kid. Um, I think that mirrors surround a lot of folklore and superstition generally. Like some supernatural beings don't have reflections. I've been watching so much vampire content lately that I feel like (laughs) I was like thinking about this. Um, And sometimes people will see things in mirrors that aren't there in real life. So Um, But the history behind this is that in ancient Greece, it was common for people to consult mirror seers who told their fortunes by analyzing their reflections. In the books Signs, Omens, and Superstitions, which came out in 1918, just to just just for honesty's sake, um, (laughs) uh, said divination was performed by means of water and a looking glass. This was called catoptromancy i I don't know it seems right okay the mirror was dipped in the water and a sick person was asked to look into the glass if his image appeared distorted he was likely to die if clear he would live um so that's wild uh (laughs) and then in the first century ad the romans added the caveat to the superstition um it was believed that people's health 
changed in seven year cycles. And so a distorted image resulting from the broken mirror therefore meant seven years of ill health or misfortune rather than outright death. And this relates to the Romans thinking that like health that we talked about earlier, they had it shockingly correct um, in some ways, but the Romans were one of the societies that perfected the art of making mirrors from reflective surfaces, first metallic and then from glass, which is even more breakable. And this is not necessarily like an easy, technically easy thing to do. These reflective surfaces were thought to be one of the methods that the gods used to observe humans as well. Um, And so breaking them was also considered very disrespectful. There's also an old superstition that mirrors reflected one's soul. And so breaking them was potentially dangerous and very disturbing. So there's lots of sort of mirror lore as, as Laura alluded to. But I also have to believe that breaking a mirror was considered bad luck, partly because they were not cheap or easy to make. They were really a luxury in a lot of ways. And so this to me just seems like another example of the ways that superstitions can be used as social control in this sense, just to remind people to be very, very careful with a precious object. Yeah. Another like mirror related thing that I wanted to briefly mention. Um, I think I brought up on the magic episode. I know I talked about like how in Judaism, there's a lot of like um, rituals around death. And so after someone dies, you like sit Shiva, which is a seven day period of mourning following the death. And one of the aspects of that is that you're supposed to cover all the mirrors in your home. And the reason for that is that you're supposed to focus on like mourning and grief and like the person who died rather than how you look. And so it's seen as like selfish or vain to use mirrors during that time. As far as I know, there isn't really like necessarily a superstition of like, if you do look in a mirror, X will happen. It's more of just like an honor code thing. Like you just cover them and you're not supposed to. I feel like there's a another practical use to that because as someone who has experienced this a lot recently, like honestly, you probably don't want to look into a mirror during those times, like because you're, you're really struggling. So yeah exactly yeah it's very like in general Shiv is very focused on like not worrying about any extraneous things like that's why I know I talked on the one with Tanya about how like the closest family relative uh yeah relatives aren't supposed to like really have to do any work people like bring over food and like really cater to you and so yeah another part of that is that like you're not supposed to worry about like what you look like or anything like that yeah that's amazing um The next thing we want to talk about is opening an umbrella indoors. Um, This is another one that definitely has a practical purpose. So I just wanted to read this quote from this book about the origins of superstitions. In 18th century London, when metal-spoked waterproof umbrellas began to become a common rainy day site, their stiff, clumsy spring mechanism made them veritable hazards to open indoors. A rigidly spoked umbrella opening suddenly in a small room could seriously injure an adult or a child or shatter a frangible object. Even a minor accident could provoke unpleasant words or a minor quarrel, themselves strokes of bad luck in family or among friends. Thus, the superstition arose as a deterrent to opening an umbrella indoors. Um, This one is really funny to me because it's just like... (laughs) I don't know it's just like obviously don't do that like it's like don't be an asshole um I love just imagining like these uh, whatever like 1700s British people being like oh you jabbed me with your umbrella (laughs) so um I don't know it's just a very annoying thing to do and I think most people avoid doing it more for that reason than the superstition like I feel like most people are just like yeah you wouldn't just like open an umbrella in a small crowded room 
Um, but I like imagining that there was just like this one old timey British guy who just would not stop opening umbrellas and doors. And they were like, Joffrey, you're going to provoke the devil if you keep doing that. <laughs> Joffrey. Um, they're just like, we have to make up a superstition so we can get that one guy to chill out. <laughs> there, you know, pe- men will do anything other than directly address their, their own <laughs> fucking patriarchal bullshit they're just like oh this men will literally make up a superstition about opening an umbrella indoors instead of going to therapy exactly (laughs) (laughs) okay yes anyway i like how jules chose the one that are just like things that are just blatantly a dangerous idea like you just should not do that Uh, this one is like it's not even that dangerous it's just like annoying but yeah I guess the the metal spikes do sound a bit a bit dangerous I'm just I guess I'm imagining the the earliest umbrellas were probably like pretty like jagged oh that's true you're right (laughs) they're like you can get tetanus from that Yeah, so the next one I wanted to talk about is the evil eye, which is one of my personal faves. The earliest known belief in the power of the evil eye dates back to ancient Greek and Roman times. It's actually one of the most commonly recognized symbols of superstition across the globe. Um, Yeah, I'm very into it. I have a lot of evil eye like iconography. I have a ring, which is the only one that I bought for myself. Which inspired me to also get one because (laughs) I was like... Every time I would zoom and you had it on, I'm like, that fucking ring. Anyway, twins. Yeah, I searched high and low for that ring. It's very powerful. Um, But I also have like a necklace that my aunt gave me and I have some just around my apartment that were gifts. It's like pretty common in a lot of Middle Eastern cultures to like give someone the evil eye beads because as I'll talk about, they're like used as protection um, it's called like Al Ain in Arabic and in most regions of the Middle East, including um, Turkey, where it's very commonly used. The the evil eye beads originated in Turkey. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But the evil eye curse is seen to inflict varying degrees of harm to the person exposed to another person's glare. So that's where the evil eye comes from. And someone can expose themselves to the curse by acting without humility or acting with stubbornness or kind of other behaviors that are seen as uh, unpleasant. They're like, well, you're going to get the evil eye curse now because like you're getting the glare, Mm. which somewhat similarly with the black cats, um, any illness that didn't have a known cause, which like a lot of illnesses in these times did not have known causes, (laughs) but that would be blamed on like, oh, you must have gotten an evil eye curse. So wearing the evil eye is thought to stare back at the evil spirits and keep you safe from their harm. So that's the common imagery that you probably know of like the blue glass um, evil eye beads or like other merchandise, which originated in Turkey. Uh, For the coloring, since Turkey is this like hot, dry, you know, desert place, water is seen as symbolizing like growth and prosperity. Water was, you know, seen as a more like plentiful thing because it's not there's not a lot of water. And so the shades of blue in the evil eye are meant to bring prosperity as well as like, you're like staring back down the curse. And blue is also a symbolic color of good karma and positive energy. 
And then I also wanted to share that someone wrote in about this on Instagram that their Albanian family told them to keep garlic on them to ward off the evil eye and that they now want a tattoo of the garlic. And I love that idea. That's very cute. That is so cute. I also love the evil eye. So special. Okay, well... So this next one uh, comes from my sister-in-law, and my sister-in-law also graduated from the same high school in the same year. So I love, I love this one. So she wrote in, (laughs) "Um, apparently you should never give someone shoes as a gift because they will walk right out of your life. Heard this after my high school boyfriend broke up with me after his birthday for which I had given him a pair of shoes that he wanted. So, first of all, we're going to drag you, KP. Um, This is very sus, knowing this person. (laughs) Um, Like, very sus. Uh, And, like, literally, it's very normal to gift people shoes because it's often a thing that you want because it's a thing that you wear all the time. Anyway, well, I looked into it, and I guess that one... Part of that is one part of the superstition, but also if you never gift anyone shoes, you might be doomed to go shoeless in the afterlife. So the shoe superstitions can go either way. It seems like this ex <clears throat> just did not know how to communicate his feelings or end things in any graceful way, which just, you know, sounds like a 23 year old man or however the fuck old it was when y'all. <sighs> I have to say, I did give my ex shoes one time, and several years later, we broke up. Co- coincidence? <laughs> I think correlation is causation. There you go. That one. My, my mom gives me shoes every year for my birthday, and I'm still in her life. But I've also gotten go. shoes from my mother for, <laughs> for Christmas. Last Christmas, in fact. So Wow. Oh. I don't think I've ever given or received shoes as a gift, so maybe I can't speak on this, but I feel <laughs> like if someone asked you for the shoes, like, surely that should counteract the superstition. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just feel like it's not they should experience the curse or whatever at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but this just made me think of this other thing. And I don't know if this counts as like a superstition exactly, but it's like you're not supposed to buy your first deck of tarot cards. You're supposed to receive them as a gift. But most people I know who own them, myself included, just ended up like asking someone to get them for us as a gift at some point, because like, otherwise, how is anyone going to know that you wanted that? Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I guess like I, so I looked into this tarot card thing because I wanted to know if I've accidentally cursed myself. Um, <laughs> and there are a few ideas about where this might've come from. Um, some versions of the rule just say that someone else has to buy them. So you can't spend your own money on them. Um, not that they have to be given as like a totally spontaneous gift. So In that case, I'm definitely in the clear. Okay. This is relieving to me because I also requested when I wanted a tarot deck. And then that year for my birthday, three different friends gave me decks of tarot cards because I just have very supportive friends. But also the decks do have very distinct personalities that do correlate to the friends they were gifted from. I will say. That's amazing. I think I am cursed because I I bought my first deck. Hmm. Wait, is that the deck that is cursed? It is. Oh, my God. Okay. Because I knew you had one cursed deck. But I did buy the other deck, too. 
But if it's well, just it the is first just deck, supposed to be your first one anyway. So yeah. that kind of makes sense. The second one is blessed because that's the one that we got those special cards from. That's true. So that's oh. a lucky deck. The other one cursed. Now we know why. <laughs> true. Yeah. Well, see this, I mean, this is what I was worried about, um, <laughs> but I, so one idea about where this myth came from is that it's something tarot readers would say after giving a reading to like discourage people from going out and buying their own deck and like cutting into their business. Um, because like, I don't know, I guess they thought people would think it was like too easy, um, which I think is hilarious and amazing if it's true. Um, but also like, if that is part of the reason, I feel like there's just also the element of like, it might look easy if you're watching someone do it, but there's so much more that goes into it besides just like having the cards. Um, so it also just made me think about how tarot isn't just about the cards. It's like about what you bring to them. Um, and part of the appeal to me is being able to do readings for people, you know, so that you can bring your own like knowledge and understanding of that person to the reading. So I wonder if part of it is that like, you can't, you can't just view the cards as like a tool that you can use, like any person can use the same way as any other person. Um, but it's also funny because when I Googled this, a bunch of tarot card deck seller websites came up that were like, here's why you actually should buy your own deck because they obviously want to make sales. Um, so superstition is in the eye of the beholder is what I've learned today. Wow. The big tarot industry out here. Um, <laughs> here's why it's lucky if you buy 50 decks right now. <laughs> um, I think the next one that we wanted to talk about is how it's supposed to be bad luck for the groom to see the bride before the wedding. Um, I would say that perhaps it's bad luck for a bride to marry a groom in the first place, but well, she, she's coming in hot, folks. <laughs> and we so I, I have to start off by saying that this whole thing is like extremely heteronormative. But anyway, apparently like the whole groom seeing the not seeing the bride thing is according, at least according to a poll that I found online that may or may not be accurate. One of the more widely believed superstitions in America, actually. Um, and this is also related. That I think, would be, like would be my instinct, actually, because mm -hmm, just because yeah. I feel like. I've gone to so many weddings where they literally will sleep in different rooms yeah. like oh, the yeah. night before and shit like that too. Yeah. And I, it's related to the idea that a groom shouldn't see his future wife's dress before the day of the wedding as well, I think. And like, right. I definitely know that people, even people who are less like afraid of like sleeping in the same bed as the person they're about to marry, like the night before the wedding are still like, don't look at my fucking outfit. Um, <laughs> But apparently this dates back to the time where some marriages were arranged and the bride and the groom were kept apart before the wedding, like but without meeting each other so that no one could be like, ooh, no, thank you. And call the whole thing off. Um, oh, my the, God. The, <laughs> the main concern here seems to have been with the man rejecting the woman and not the other way around which may also be connected to the veil, which can like symbolize chastity and all of that, but also covers a woman's face until she's already married and the guy is stuck with her. Oh, we just need God. to clear the air that every woman is more beautiful than any man. So Very true. 
Um, and there's there's lots of examples of this superstition in pop culture. Like this is a very prominent fear. So for example, when Pam and Jim get married in the office, which we also referenced at the top, um, Pam freaks out about her veil ripping before the ceremony and goes to Jim seeking comfort. And like Jim's first reaction is like, whoa, I'm not supposed to be seeing you right now. Or like on Parks and Rec, when Leslie and Ben get married, they do this whole conversation back to back because Leslie is so anal about Ben not looking at her before the wedding starts. Also, I'm sorry that all my references are Michael Schur shows. I was <laughs> anyway, say, now you know what television Kellen watches. I've, I have not watched Parks and Rec for years, but I still have this image of them doing this weird like conversation with their backs against each other because I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. At any rate, that is the superstition. And it is changing, though, because first look, what they're, they're called first look shoots, mm-hmm. are really popular at weddings. Right. And this is where two people getting married see each other for the first time on the day of, but before the ceremony. And the photographer is there and captures the moment. Yeah. And so the superstition is definitely becoming less popular, specifically because of trends in wedding photography. But I do think, as I said, the whole like not showing your partner the outfit you're wearing remains pretty popular among non-men. And I think especially people who are wearing like dresses and jumpsuits, um, perhaps less because of superstition and more because you want to surprise the other person with how hot or beautiful or handsome or just generally incredible you look on your wedding day. Totally. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. My sister and her partner, um, they're both women. They know what each other's outfits look like off, but they're not seeing each other like wearing them before. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't think it's superstition. I think it's just kind of like, oh, it's fun to like have an element of surprise. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Totally. I guess your sister and her fiance have seen each other before. (laughs) They do know what each other looks like. They, they've each agreed to the situation knowing that information. <laughs> <laughs> so another one I wanted to mention is about graveyards. And this is another um, Jewish superstition that I just think is really fun, honestly. So basically when you, after you go to a funeral or when you're at a cemetery in general, but the assumption is that you were there for a funeral, although you can go to a cemetery for whatever reason you want. Um, True. But whatever reason, (laughs) there are some reasons you shouldn't go to a cemetery, but bones, stealing bones, for example. Oh, yeah, that's (laughs) I don't know why I said that. In my mind, I was like, yeah, if you're like a Westboro Baptist motherfucker (laughs) trying to protest a funeral. Another good reason not to go. Yeah, I was, that's like the first thing that came to my head. I, was I love how it's like first stealing bones. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so if you're at a cemetery for a predetermined socially acceptable reason, <laughs> um, the idea is that cemeteries are filled with evil spirits. So you don't want to drive directly back to your house. So you're supposed to like go in a confusing route and essentially like drag race the evil spirits back to your house that they can't follow you. And I just think that's like fun. That's so funny. That is really fun. Um, so yours reminded me of one that I was like religious about when I was young. Um, so I did a thing when I was young that involved graveyards and superstitions, which was holding my breath while hold- while driving past a graveyard. Um, and apparently this is because we could possibly breathe in the spirit of someone who has recently died. 
And as we discussed on a recent episode, I was a very scared kid, like scared of imagery or anything like that. So I was very wrapped up in any superstition that could bring me close to ghosts or spirits. Um, So that's probably why I was like so into this superstition. I also definitely held my breath as a kid driving past graveyards, but I don't think I knew why I did it. I was just like, this is this is what you do. God, hold your breath. Um, and it's like so ingrained in me that I still sometimes do it today, including while I'm driving. But I am cautious. I'm like, okay, if it feels like I can't hold my breath any longer and this is a really big ass cemetery, I'm just going to breathe. That's more important than possibly causing like a seven car pileup because I lose consciousness while driving. Just, you know so that our listeners are aware so I also (laughs) I also grew up doing this and still sometimes do but I actually was told a different reason the reason that I grew up thinking is that um it's like rude to breathe in front of dead people like you're like flexing (laughs) on the dead by breathing and that they would get mad at you I think that's what I was taught but when I researched this Mm. is why this is what came up. But when I was, I, that is what I was taught to like, like don't flex by breathing in front of people. <laughs> Very rude. <laughs> I feel like there's nothing like this with tunnels too. Yeah. 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 I also hold my breath with tunnels. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wild. So since as of when this episode comes out, it's hollow weekend. Hollow weekend. I thought, because we still have some time, right? I thought we could just talk about mm-hmm. what are everyone's plans, costumes, etc., for the weekend. Love that. Zoe, why don't you start? <laughs> Thank you. you have the most exciting plans. <laughs> yes. I do. I do have very exciting plans because I'm going to New York. Woohoo! And on Friday, Kellen and Jules and I have some very spooky plans together. Um, we're going to dress goth and fun and, um, plans slightly to be determined. Horror movies will be involved. Some form of reading psychic may or may not be involved. Um, a witch shop might be involved, you know, it's going to be fun. We're going to be spooky. I think we're going to see Rosemary's baby and have some drinks. And then on Saturday, uh, some of my friends are having a party and I am going as specifically the Jennifer's body scene where she comes out of that moldy pool and is covered in the blood of Needy's gaslighter boyfriend, Chip. Hate him. Yeah, hate him. So yeah, I bought this like long white dress and I will be destroying it by covering it in blood and dirt, uh, as you should with any long white dress, in my opinion. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, I'm very excited. Maybe that's the reason that men aren't supposed to see your wedding dress before the day of. <laughs> it's going to be covered in blood and dirt. You just don't want to scare them. Oh my God. Well, so obviously I'm seeing y'all. Um, and then on, yeah, I, I can't wait. It's going to be amazing. Um, on Saturday, my sister is having a Halloween party. So this is going to be like the first party I've gone to since quarantine. Um, but I think I'm going to dress as Freddie Mercury, but I'm realizing now that I haven't taken any steps towards like making that happen. So now I'm like, I got to like go on Amazon and get like a, a leather armband or something, but I think I'm going to do the like, um, white tank top light jean look hell yes 
I feel like that's a pretty easy one to yeah. throw together. Oh, yeah, it's like I have most, I have like the clothes already. I just got to get an armband and maybe Absolutely. like a fake mustache. I mean, you can even draw that on, you know, like that's I feel like you're, point. you're I feel like that's going to be a really hot look for you. Honestly. I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm excited. <laughs> I feel like I've been, I have been obsessed with Freddie Mercury for a very long time, but I've never done this as a costume. So I think it's time. Oh, I hell love that. Yeah. Um, my Friday plans have already been established. Um, I have two other costumes that I'm wearing. Um, one of them is to a Halloween party that my partner is throwing. Um, if you're in New York and you want to come to a party, just let me know because they're actively just inviting whoever. Maybe I shouldn't say this on air. (laughs) Seems like a bad idea. Um, but it should be interesting. Uh, I, we're going as, um, shoulder angel and shoulder devil. So I'm going to be a devil and give people bad advice all night. He is going to be an angel and give people good advice in theory. Again, don't know if that's something he's actually capable of doing. (laughs) So we'll see how that goes, but it'd be nice. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, please. I was just going to say, I want the bit to go so far as to, if I text you about anything that evening, I want you to only respond with bad advice. I, yeah, method acting. Method yeah, acting. Remain I in character. That. I want All the right. whole bit. This is your, your funeral, Zoe. <laughs> it's your funeral, and I'm going to hold my breath when I drive past your graveyard. Um, and then I have one other top secret costume that I will tweet about after I wear it, but I cannot reveal at this time. And I'm very excited about it. Ooh. Oh, you can check my Serious. Twitter. I am at Helen Kenneford um, <laughs> this weekend to see my other secret costume. Ooh, this is like, I like this this drop you know mm-hmm. i mean i power. i know what it is right no you don't oh it's not the one that i know what it is uh-uh. no i came up with a new one. Oh, okay now i'm <laughs> even more curious i felt special <laughs> never mind listeners we're all the same to kellen <laughs> i i would argue and you'll know what i mean after i debut this costume that you are not all the same to me however <laughs> It's a mystery right now. <laughs> okay, well, I'm super excited. Everyone follow Kellen on Twitter. It's all it's all about getting up that engagement. <laughs> um, no, it is actually going to be an incredible costume. So I'm very excited about it. I may or may not know about it. Um, but either way, uh, I am. I'm having a low-key Halloween weekend. Uh, me and a small group of friends are doing like a murder mystery detective party. Love this. Um, so fun. And so we're basically all dressing as detectives, but because detectives is like a very broad thing, like my one friend is doing like a Twin Peaks vibe um, with like a turtleneck and um, like a sweater vest and shit like that. And oh, that's cute. Yes. And I'm just going to do like pants suspenders uh and an oversized blazer and i got a wooden pipe uh to smoke can you actually can you smoke out of it you can yes it's meant for tobacco but i don't smoke tobacco i smoke weed so i love the idea of you just like smoking weed out of your like old man pipe that's incredible <laughs> yeah yes yes does not drink alcohol so but will smoke weed out of a ridiculous wooden pipe yeah very powerful yes also i will be um being facetimed in on friday that's my friday plans yay uh, oh, yes. hey. <laughs> definitely 
Oh my God. When this episode drops, exactly. well, it drops in the morning. Also, I'll be seeing Kellen and Jules within hours of when it drops, let's say. <laughs> when you all are hearing this. Exactly. <laughs> if you're listening to it after work, we're hanging out right now. Think about that. <laughs> Think about it. Powerful. You'll know. The vibes will be so powerful. That's true. You'll be able to tell. You'll also be able to tell because we will be posting selfies on social media, which you can see on Twitter and Instagram at Season of the Beat. Oh, <laughs> flawless transition. <laughs> Thank you so much. You can email us, seasonofthebeat at gmail.com. You can go to our website, seasonofthebeat.com. Look it up. Uh- <laughs> Google it. Just Google us. It's fine. Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash season of the bitch. I realize we haven't been plugging enough. We do have a spooky season book reading group happening on Girls Against God, which is a spooky witchy novel. Um, the reading will be on Sunday, November 7th. So as of hearing this, you still have time to get the book and read it. Uh, we also can provide a free PDF copy and well, it's free after you join our Patreon. So it's not free, but uh, there's no additional charge to access the book. Uh, Once you join our Patreon and our discord, you're all set up to go and it's going to be super fun and cozy. And also our discord is amazing. Uh, You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. You can Spotify us. You can (laughs) wherever you're listening right now, just like do the thing that means you like us. And that would be great. Uh, and have a good Halloween. Happy Halloween. Uh, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Love, Love you. you. Love you. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. 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 <laughs> Season of the Bitch. <laughs>